listener production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. And on this episode of Health Hacker, Adam is going to chat to Gretchen Rubin. She is one of today's most influential and thought-provoking observers of happiness and human nature. We all want to know how to be happy, but like, how do we become happy? Remember, if you want us to hack into anyone specific for you on The Health Hacker, email us, healthhacker@themanshake.com.au. Jump onto Adam's Manshake socials or head to his website, themanshake.com.au. So enjoy this interview with Adam and Gretchen in her studio over in New York City on how on earth we can all be happy. Happiness is not a goal. It's a byproduct of a life well lived and somebody that will be able to expand on how we live a life well lived is none other than Gretchen Rubin. Thank you, Gretchen, for joining us. How do we live a well life? Well, I'm so happy to be talking to you. I mean, I think that's the big question. Um, You know, if you had to pick one aspect to be the key to happiness, uh, if if you had to pick just one area in life, ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists would agree you'd pick relationships. To be happy, we really need strong, intimate bonds. We feel like we need to feel like we belong. We need to feel like we can confide. We need to be able to get support. And just as important for happiness, we need to be able to give support. Um, So if you're thinking about the, you know, what if you can only think about (laughs) one area of your life, um, thinking about things that are going to deepen your relationships or strengthen your relationships is probably a great place to start. What a great piece of advice. So many people look for happiness in things. Materialism is a a big thing, whether it's a bigger house, a bigger car, um, and you articulate these messages so effectively in your books. Um, The other great thing about your books is that um, I always say you can't fix something if you don't know how it works. And this is where your genius comes through is understanding yourself. Talk about the importance of understanding yourself if you're really trying to obtain happiness and just productivity. Well, you're exactly right, because we can build a happy life only on the foundation of our own nature, our own interests, our own values, our own temperament. And if we try to fit ourselves into the model that someone else says, okay, this will make you happy. I mean, maybe it'll sort of accidentally be right for you, but probably not. And so each of us has to think about what would be right for us. There is no magic one size fits all solution. And so when we really know ourselves, then we can think about, okay, well, what would make me happy? For instance, I think for many people, a happy life might include a lot of music, whether it's playing music or listening to music or going to concerts or playing music with friends or singing or what, you know, there's a million ways that people love music. For me, music is not a huge thing. I wish it were. I see how much pleasure people get out of it. It's not a huge thing. For some people, travel is really important. Other people are more home buddies. For some people, um, you know, adventure, uh, doing like crazy new things is really important and valuable and energizing. And for other people, not so much. And so we really have to, and those are just kind of interests. And of course, and then some people want to socialize like in big groups and have lots of friends and go out a lot. And then other people want like a few very close relationships. Um, it's not that anybody's right and anybody's wrong. It's just that we're all different. So we have to think about shaping our lives to suit ourselves and try, instead of trying to jam ourselves into someone else's notion of what a happier life would look like. And you've uh, come up with a system which basically can go online and do it at uh, GretchenRubin.com. Um, it's the questionnaire that explains your personality type. So understanding who you are, what your needs are and what your drivers are in life is probably the first step in understanding how to obtain a, a more healthy and happier life. Yeah, I developed this personality framework called the Four Tendencies. Mm. And as you said, you can go to quiz.gretchenrubin.com to take it. It's free. It's quick. 
And it sort of will spit out an answer uh, to tell you whether you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. This is how I divide people up. Um, and it looks at how you respond to expectations, outer expectations like a work deadline, um, and inner expectations like your own desire to keep a New Year's resolution. How you respond, whether you meet an expectation or you resist an expectation, that's what makes you an upholder, questioner, obliger, or rebel. And can you go into just a, a brief description of each sure. of them? Yeah, because um, it's Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it's outer expectations and inner expectations, which sounds boring, but I promise it's like it's juicy information. Yeah. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. They tend to love things like schedules and calendars and to-dos. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they resist anything arbitrary, inefficient, unjustified. They always have to know why. They usually love research. They have to have a reason. Uh, so they're turning everything into an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard of making sense, they'll do it no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. So their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. <laughs> then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. Uh, they say, I don't understand it. I keep my promises to other people. Why can't I keep my promises to myself? I got my first insight into this tendency when a friend said to me, you know, it's so weird. I know I'm happier when I exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she had no trouble going. But when she's trying to go on her own, she struggles. So the lesson for obligers is if they want to meet an inner expectation, they have to create a system of outer accountability. You want to read more, join a book group. You want to exercise, work out with a trainer, work out with a friend who's annoyed if you don't show up. Take your dog for a run who's so disappointed if she doesn't get to go. Raise money for a charity. There's a million ways to create outer accountability. Once you realize it's not motivation, it's not self-care, it's not priorities, it's not clarity, it's outer accountability. So the obliger motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do, what they choose to do, um, and they can do anything that they want to do or that they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And typically they don't tell themselves what to do. Like they don't sign up for a 10 a.m. woodworking class on Saturday because they think, I don't know what I'm gonna wanna do on Saturday morning. And just the idea that somebody's expecting me to show up in a certain place is gonna annoy me. So their motto is, you can't make me, and neither can I. <laughs> so those are the four. Uh, the biggest tendency for both men and women is the obliger tendency. You either are an obliger or you have many obligers in your life. And after that questioner, rebel is the smallest tendency. It is conspicuous, but it is a small tendency. And my tendency, the upholder tendency, is only slightly larger. Yeah, wow. Yeah. You, know, you know, what's interesting, though, is that a lot of times people can characterize the tendency differently depending on circumstance. Mm. So, like, let's say somebody says to you, hey, you know what? I'm a busy surgeon. I give 110% to my patients. How do I have time to exercise? I am giving everything to my patients. I don't have time to exercise or eat right. 
that's obliger, right? I can't meet my expectations for myself because I'm doing everything for other people. Or, you know, um, I do everything for my clients. They're on the phone morning, noon, and night. Am I going to say no to a client? No, I am not. I am there 110%. I will never say no to a client. That's obliger. Yeah, I, lo- I love the model because if you don't understand how to motivate yourself and you yes. you have a great quote, which is don't wait to be motivated. Um, yeah. And that's the mistake. Don't expect to be yeah, motivated by be motivation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about that? Because like, if you obviously don't know what your tendencies are, you can't obviously inspire yourself to take action. No, 100%. And you put your finger exactly on it. If you don't know your tendency you and you're frustrated with yourself, you might not know you know, you're just throwing spaghetti against the wall to try to figure out what will work. So if you're, if you know you're an obliger, you know you need an account, outer accountability. That's crucial. Mm. There's that. That is it. That is that's the way to do it. Um, so you need to figure out a, a system of outer accountability. Now, obligers are different in what kinds of account, outer accountability work for them. Some will respond to like an auto reminder from an app. Mm-hmm. Some need to actually have a live person, like you know, looking them in the eye. But once you know that what you need is outer accountability, that's really helpful. But for rebels, often outer accountability is counterproductive. They don't like the feeling of somebody looking over their shoulder. They don't want to have to report in on somebody. They don't want to be stuck on someone else's schedule, like taking a class. And so for them, it's much better to think about identity. This is what I want. This is what I choose. I don't want these consequences, so I'm going to act in this way. That's very different from outer accountability. And see, I'm an upholder. I don't really need accountability. Accountability can be burdensome. It can Mm. take time. It can take energy. It can cost money. Sometimes I kind of like to have outer accountability. It can help me. But it's, it's, it's very useful to know that I don't really depend on it. I don't have to create extensive systems of outer accountability. I just kind of put it on my calendar and do it. Um, and so it's really helpful to know, um, or like questioners love to customize. If you tell a questioner, like, this is what you're supposed to do, a questioner is going to turn right around and be like, no, you know, I'm going to do that in the morning and I'm going to do that for 30 minutes, not 40. And I'm going to eliminate dairy or whatever they're going to come <laughs> up with this. And so if you're dealing with somebody like that or you're dealing with yourself, you have to say, like, they really like that. They like to customize. They like to experiment. They like to say, I'm going to try this and then I'm going to iterate and I'm going to hack myself and I'm going to, you know, try all these and I'm going to, like, figure out what is the most efficient, what works best for me. So again, it's like once you know your tendency, you can kind of lean into it and get the strength of that tendency, harness it, um, and not try a bunch of things that might not work for you. Like rebels will always say to people, just get clear on what you want. Once you know what you want, your actions will follow. And other people are like, what are you talking about? That's not right. <laughs> I know I, I know exactly what I want. I passionately want to do this and nothing's happening. Yeah. So do I just whip myself into a frenzy of desire? That doesn't seem to work. Yeah. No, because that doesn't work for the other tendency. So it really can make you much less frustrated because um, you can pinpoint for you what works because other things could work great for other people, um, but they're just not going to, they're not, they're not going to be useful for you. That's why you should take this quiz. And my university lecturer always used to say, if you're not speaking somebody else's language, you're not communicating. And um, yes. if you don't understand yes. somebody else's personality type, if you're trying to communicate with that person, you're just yes. really not speaking their language. Absolutely. And there's so much, there's so much mm. frustration that's created by that. Or also people, people trying to help and not understanding that they're actually making things worse. Mm. Yeah. So going back to motivation, how uh, should people, I suppose, create momentum to start the journey, whether it's for better health or, or just more happiness if they're not relying on motivation? Yes. So yeah, you want to just not even think about motivation mm. because I mean, obviously you're, if you're even thinking like I should exercise more or I should get more sleep or I should read more or whatever, you have a motivation. You've articulated a desire, an aim to do something. 
I think the thing to really, and I, there's, there are 21 strategies that people can use to make or break their habit. And this was my book better than before. Mm. I was like, let's lay them all out on the table because some of them work really well for some people, but not for others. Some we can use at some times in our lives, but not other times in our lives. So you really want to know everything that's available to you. Because if you have a, a big, like an important kind of challenging habit, like let's say you want to start exercising consistently, mm -hmm. you might need to try several different strategies to really cement that into place, which sounds a lot more burdensome and, and, and difficult than it actually is. Um, and then, But then there are some strategies that work very well for just about everyone. So one is um, you really want to be very concrete with yourself about what you're expecting from yourself. So you might say, I want to eat more healthfully. Does that sound specific? No, it does not. Because I go to bed at night and I'm like, did I eat healthfully today? And I would be like, well, I ate healthfully at this point, but then at that other point, maybe that wasn't so helpful. But then overall, was it helpful? I would say on balance, it was so-so. I mean, what does that mean? So you want to like be very explicit about what you're saying to yourself. I'm going to quit sugar. I'm going to uh, stop ordering takeout. I'm going to give up junk food. I am going to... Uh, you know, uh, cook a hot breakfast every morning for myself. I'm going to eat three vegetables every day or whatever it would be for you. Like people might have a bunch of different ideas of what it would mean to be eat healthfully. Um, but you want to be very clear. So you get in bed at night and you think back and you're like, did I do this? You know, you're like, I either did do that or I didn't do that. Um, so you want that clarity. Another thing that works really well is convenience and inconvenience. Mm. We are so susceptible to convenience and inconvenience. It's hilarious. They have these just hilarious studies they've done. Like, let's say you have a, um, a salad bar. Uh -huh. What they've shown is that people will take more food if it's served with spoons, <laughs> like serving spoons rather than tongs, because it's more work to use a tong. And some people just don't take as much food. It's like, it's that, <laughs> or like if you have to open an ice cream, you know, container, like people won't take as much ice cream <laughs> than if it's just open. It's like they literally <laughs> cannot slide the door open. So if you just, if anything you want yourself to do, you want to make it as convenient as possible. I heard from, I've heard from several people who sleep in their gym clothes so that they can just get up in the morning and they're already dressed for the gym. I mean, I'm like, whatever works for you. Um, or you make it inconvenient. Like, let's say you want to watch less TV. You might put your remote control device like in a completely different room, like in a drawer. So if you want, you can't just like cruise by the TV and flick it on. You have to like go to the other room, open the drawer, walk back to the TV. And like in that time, all different, you could have like, you could remember, I don't want to be watching TV or you could get distracted. Like, oh, I see, you know, all the, the mail came. Now I yeah. should go look through that, whatever it could happen. But the more you make it inconvenient, the more you make it likely that you will not do an action. And the more convenient it is, the more likely you are to do an action. And so we can, that's, that's something that just about everyone um, can benefit from. Yeah, there's some great tips there. And you did a great interview with behavioral scientist Brian Wozniak um, yeah. on how to eat healthy. So I recommend anybody um, who gets a chance to go online and look for that. It was absolutely brilliant about how to eat healthier. And because um, you yourself, you, um, you, you obviously apply a lot of these behavioral um, hacks yourself. And yes. you eat very healthily, don't you? You're obviously on a, a moderate to low carbohydrate seller diet. Well, I'm a very low carb person. Yeah. So I'm a low carb, high fat, but some people don't think that's healthfully yeah. eating. I think that's very healthful yeah. eating. So people disagree about like sometimes what the aims are, but we can all take the action that would give us, get us to the aim that we think is good for us. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so you're so busy as well. So how do you ensure that you undertake these healthy habits on a daily basis as well? What hacks do you apply for yourself? 
Um, well, I'm an upholder. So like many people who love to talk about habits, like I love habits. Yep. I find them so energizing and fascinating. Um, and so, you know, I get up at the same time every day. Yep. I go to bed pretty much the same time every day. I eat very regularly. I don't let myself get too hungry. Um, I work every day, every single day, because that just like keeps me engaged in my work and mm -hmm. I love to work. Um, I read every day to the, on that, you know, I have a podcast, uh, happier with Gretchen Rubin yep. and this last year we challenged ourselves and listeners to walk 20 and 20, meaning everybody walked for 20 minutes at least in 2020. And we got this amazing, uh, like it was such, it was like transformative for people. Um, because, um, you know, if you go from no, no exercise to some exercise, it's just like you get enormous health gains. And um, especially during the pandemic, like mm. people found it like so beneficial and their dogs loved it. But so many people <laughs> said that their dogs were so happy. And then this year we've challenged people to do read 21 and 21. We oh. thought everybody needed like a, a fun, we all need like a fun resolution. Yeah. And so many people want the habit of reading and they're sort of like, I love to read, but somehow I don't find time to read. So it's kind of like, look, let's really commit to read 21 and 21. We've got like, you know, hashtag read 21 and 21 to try to create this like, kind of make it fun and playful. Like this is this fun challenge that we're all doing. Create accountability for obligers that want it. Remind rebels, like this is what you want. This is who you are. You're a reader, like get back into that. Um, questioners, it's like, you know what? If you read 21 minutes a day, you will read many, many books uh, over the course of a year. It's very, it's like a very efficient, uh, systematic way to get a lot of reading done. Um, so I think things like that can really contribute to like that kind of consistent progress that we need when we're trying to form those healthy habits. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Well, you've given us so many great tips and, and the, the thing that I love about your obsession with habits is the quote that says, the secret of adulthood for habits, it's easier to change my surroundings than myself. Yes. Brilliant quote. So once again, people understanding what does that mean from a practical sense for them? Creating friction well, once think, again, isn't it, for bad habits and creating it convenience for good habits. Right, exactly. And so, you know, um, I think sometimes people are like, well, I should be able to do this. Or like, here's, here's an example of um, like morning people and night people. Mm. Sometimes people are like, I should be able to get up early. I should do this. I'm going to set the alarm. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, you're a night person that's largely a function of genetics and age. And so create it to create your, you know, change your schedule. Like, you know, if your surroundings are like, okay, I'm supposed to be at an 8.30 a.m. Zoom meeting at work. Well, can you talk to everybody and say, hey, can we do this at 10? It would be a lot easier for me to do it at 10. Maybe you can move it. Sometimes we can't mm -hmm. change our surroundings, but sometimes we can. Or like, okay, one, another distinction is, um, when it comes to resisting strong temptation, not weak temptation, but strong temptation, some people are like me, we're abstainers when we can give something up altogether. And that's easier for us than to try to have a little bit. And then some people are moderators where they do better when they have something sometimes or they have, they have something a little bit. And, you know, again, sometimes you have a couple where one person's a moderator and one person's an abstainer and the moderator's like, oh, let me just give you, I'll just give you a half a dish of ice cream or here, just take, just take a cut, you know, just take a few potato chips. And they don't understand <laughs> where the person's like, I can't have it in the house. I can't have any. I don't, I don't want any, any, yeah, any, yeah. because once I start, I'm going to go all the way. Um, 
And it's sort of like, just don't have it in your house and then don't have it. And then you don't have to resist it and you won't have any, and then you don't miss it. Yeah. Fantastic. So people out there aspiring to get healthier, stop relying on motivation, make sure you change your surroundings if you can. And obviously understand yourself and your personality and your drivers is key. And I love the fact that you talk about goals. So many people at this time of the year, as we know, it's um, international failure month. Most people give up on their new year's resolutions in February um, because setting goals just don't work. Can you talk about why you believe goals don't work? Well, you know, one of the problems with a goal, um, and you see this often with pe- when people do like a 30-day yoga challenge <laughs> or, you know, they give up sugar for Lent or something like that. A lot of times people, th- there's kind of this myth that if you did some- do something for 21 days, it's a habit, which is obviously not true, right? Mm. Like we all know that's not true. <laughs> um, and so um, they think like, well, if I do 30 days, so, so I remember somebody saying to me, I did a 30-day yoga challenge and it was amazing. I loved it. I was doing all this yoga. And then... I haven't done yoga since. Mm -hmm. And that makes perfect sense because sometimes when you set up a goal like that, what you've actually created is a finish line. And when you pass the finish line, you're finished. Mm. And when you are finished, you have to start again. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's often much harder to start again Mm. than it is to start the first time. And so the way I think it's more helpful to think about it is milestones. Mm -hmm. It's an exciting milestone to go for, uh, do yoga for a month. That's an exciting milestone, but it's just one of many milestones that you will pass in a lifetime of yoga. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to think about what's day 31, what's day 51, what's day 101, what am I expecting of myself? Um, because I think a lot of times people just sort of like, they drag themselves across the finish line and then they're astonished when their actual behavior hasn't changed. And the fact is most of us can really like, you know, kind of clench our teeth and, 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 our, and, our, and our hands and like push through something that's even very, very demanding. But with a healthy habit, this is something that you really want to be doing more or less for the rest of your life. Um, I also think it, it, it's, it's helpful to remind people what you do most days is more important than what you do once in a while, yeah. for better and for worse. If you exercise somewhat most days, that's better than running seven miles once a month. <laughs> and if you exercise somewhat most days and then one weekend you don't get any exercise at all, that's okay. Because what you do most days matters more than what you do once in a while. And some people get very focused on kind of the don't break the chain attitude. And don't break the chain is very, very powerful. It can be a really, really helpful tool for people. But you have to, if you're using don't break the chain, you have to have a plan for what happens if the chain is broken. And the answer is get right back onto the chain. Like, you know, you're not done. You haven't failed. It's like, okay, I had a day off. Now I'm right back where I I was. Um, Because sometimes it's sort of like all or nothing. And it's like the the fact that you're going to be doing something every single day for 365 days, you know, a lot of things can happen in this world. A lot of, you know, (laughs) conflicts can come up. You have to have a plan um, so that you don't just then uh, decide to throw up your hands and be done. I love it. People start with sweating the small stuff, don't they, rather than focusing on where they can get the big wins when they go to make change. Can you expand on that? Yeah. Um, Well, you know, sometimes people change what they feel like changing Mm -hmm. or what seems like uh, like kind of an easy win, and they ignore what would really make a difference. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember I was talking to a guy, and he didn't get any exercise. He was just obviously in terrible shape. He, He ate badly. He drank too much. He didn't get any exercise. He had a really high pressure job. He had really bad sleep <laughs> habits. And he said to me, yeah, 
I think I'm going to give up coffee. And I was like, <laughs> that is not the place where you need to start. Because first of all, it would be very, very difficult. It probably would be very, very difficult and draining. He would feel very, very deprived. So he might then start doing other things worse because he's like, well, if I can't have coffee, then I think I should have twice as much X, Y, Z. And I'm like, that's not going to move the needle for you <laughs> nearly as much as like several other things that I can mention. My sister calls me a happiness bully because I can get a little bit forceful if I think there's a way for you to be happy. And I have to say, I was like biting my tongue because there were, there were literally five things, important things that I thought my friend should work on and probably more if I even thought about it longer um, that would have done more for his health and happiness. Uh, than giving up coffee. That's so good. I have a friend that did something similar. He said he's going to go vegan and I um, caught up with him. He was drinking Coca-Cola and chips because they were vegan. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Nothing's worse than a sugary beverage. Oh my gosh. And, See, that's the thing, uh, you know? Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's such great advice. And you were also quoted as saying, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Well, that's Voltaire, so mm. I have to give him credit okay. because I rip it. him that's off. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, sometimes people really do feel like, well, if I can't be perfect, like what's the point of mm. it? But again, it's like, it's more important. It's kind of like, don't get it perfect, get it going. Mm. Um, you know, there's like, huge gains to be made often just from mostly doing something or kind of doing something. Um, and so, and then I think, uh, you know, we were talking about the tendencies earlier. This is a place where questioners can get into trouble because since questioners love information and they love for things to be like the best and the most efficient and the, and the, you know, kind of the perfected version, like the most sensible, most efficient, they can sometimes suffer from analysis paralysis where they can't move forward because they can't decide what's best. So like we were talking about healthful eating, people have very different ideas about what mm. would be healthful eating. And if you said like, I have to decide like, absolutely, what is the perfect diet for me? You could spend the rest of your life researching and looking at these different arguments. And like, and, and, and in the meantime, you're eating chips and drinking Coke and yeah. you know, whatever. Um, so sometimes you have to say to yourself, look, I can't wait for perfect information. I'm going to do the best I can. I'll learn from what I'm doing. Um, I'll get some benefit from what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not doing something that I don't think makes mm -hmm. sense. I'm, I'm guessing that this is a good idea. And I'll learn as I go. Um, because often just, you know, getting started um, is a huge accomplishment. And, um, and so to just, uh, you, don't, you don't want that perfect uh, regimen to get in the way of something that you could actually do. And I think of it, I always, one of my constant resolutions, I think I should entertain more. And I say to myself, it's better to have everybody over for pizza and do it than to never have anybody over for the elegant dinner party. Yeah, Because I'm not having the elegant dinner party, right? So let it go and have the people 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 over for pizza. It's like, that's fun. Yeah, it's so, it's so true. And I, I get to witness it all the time with people on health and, and fitness journeys. They start off on an extreme diet where they go from eating, you know, a lot of carbohydrates and saying they're not going to eat any carbohydrates or they're going to give up alcohol 100% or they go to the gym for an hour on the first day and they can't walk for two weeks and they give up. Yes. It's all too hard. So, yes. so, so much practical information in your books. It's so fantastic. I love all your books. I encourage anybody today to go out and grab your books. Oh, that's so lovely to and, hear. Um, Speaking of books, if you had to gift a book, what would that be? Sorry to put you on the spot, but we like to ask a few quick fire questions. Oh, okay. Um, any book. Okay, the book that I do yourself. give the most often <laughs> is a strange, fascinating book called A Pattern Language by Christopher Alexander, where he looks at all over the world at the patterns of like architecture and design to see what is most appealing to people. So he'll point out 
that like a 17th century English farmhouse and a 14th century Japanese temple and a modern hotel that was built two years ago all have cascade of roofs. And he'll say, talk about why people just like that or like uh, windows overlooking life or a child cave or a secret place or half wild garden or staircase as stage or <laughs> sleeping to the east. It's all very poetic. He's got a whole thing about offices that's very specific about like what what an ideal office would be. And when you read this, you're like, I desperately want this to be my office because it sounds so ideal. Um, so, but it's written in these, like, it's called pattern language because it's 253 kind of discrete patterns. And so you can just sort of flip through it. It's very thought provoking. It's super interesting to look at the pictures and think about what these very, very different styles and times had in common and why. It really helped me understand, like when I would walk into a restaurant say, why do I like this restaurant? Why does this feel comfortable and appealing mm. to me? And why does this other place feel very like off-putting or like what's wrong with this room versus what's right with this room. It really, it kind of helped me understand my own experience better. And that's my favorite thing in a book. Wow. And like looking at the background that where we're doing this interview, you've got a beautiful setting behind you. So that would allow oh. you to create a beautiful environment that you know is conducive to create happiness yes. for yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of people that don't realize how their environment visually affects their happiness. Oh, absolutely. It's so true. In fact, I was very puzzled by that. Like the degree to which for most people outer order contributes to inner calm and like a sense of energy and focus and just like possibility, um, much more than it you'd think that it would. Um, it's like, why does a messy desk or a coat closet matter so much? Because it's obviously trivial, trivial in the context of a happy life. And yet over and over people, a friend of mine once said, I finally cleaned out my fridge and now I know I can switch careers. And I thought, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Can we dive into that for a second? Because it's, it's your new book and um, you call it the one minute rule. Um, yes. Tell people the importance of decluttering and, and not having chaos surrounding them. My wife always used to say when she used to jump into my car when I was playing professional sport, she would say, I can't believe you drive this messy, crappy car around. And she goes, have you ever thought about the fact that when you have a bad game and you come off the field and jump in your car, that then your whole life looks crappy because it's global. So your environment's global, um, which was great advice. So I went and cleaned my uh, car and, you know, if I had a bad game, I could at least get into a clean car and not feel like everything was crappy. <laughs> um, yes. Can you expand on that? Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that because of all the resolutions, well, I always say to people, what resolutions have you been following? What made mm -hmm. you happier? The number one resolution that people specifically mention, and it's clearly not the most significant thing you could do, but the thing people most often mention is to make your bed. Mm -hmm. And I feel like making your bed is like the cleaning your car of everyday life, you know, which yeah. you, you know, every day you're in your bed. Um, there's just something about that little bit of order and having a bedroom where you could just come in and it, you know, you feel like, okay, uh, I have this bit of orderliness. Um, and so for most people, I will say there are there is a small group of people who are truly clutter blind. My sister, who's my <laughs> co-host of the Happier Podcast, is like this. She really doesn't care. Yeah. She really doesn't notice. It does not matter to her. She tries to be neat because she lives with other people, but it does not bother her. Whereas like I go into her house, you know, and I'm instantly like sorting her mail for her. Um, but for most people, it really does matter. And so you mentioned the one minute rule. And this is a great strategy that no matter if you're, if you're like frantically busy, this is something that you can do. It doesn't take any time, energy or money where anything you can do in less than a minute, you just go ahead and do it without delay. So if you can hang up your coat instead of throwing it over a chair, if you can, um, 
you know, take a document and stick it in the folder instead of just leaving it on the top of your desk. If you can uh, take, you know, some trash, some food wrapper, like actually put it in the trash instead of just like leaving it, you know, randomly on some on countertop. And what this does is it gets rid of that scum of clutter on the surface <laughs> of life. And it's funny because it weighs us down. It's like you could look around and you're like, none of this stuff is significant. Like none of it's a big deal. Like, okay, yeah, there's dog toys everywhere. It'll take me one second to like go around and pick up the dog toys. And yet it makes me feel like, oh, there's something in my way. Like I, I kind of have to fight my way through it. And all these little tasks make us feel weighed down. Whereas if we just get rid of these tasks as we go through our day, it doesn't, we don't have to set aside time or energy to do them. And yet we have this feeling of increased energy because there's nothing kind of blocking us as we're trying to move forward. Also, you can t you tend to be able to find things, and I myself the, I don't know about Australia, but in the United States, it's it's, it's like fifty five minutes a day. Adults spend looking for misplaced items. It's I mean, wow, what can you do 55 with fifty five minutes, minutes a day? day. It's, it's, really? it's it's extraordinary. Wow! And so if you can just you know if you're a person who frequently loses their keys or can't <laughs> find their phone charger or is you know scrabbling around looking for a pen, if you figure out a way to make that more uh, sensible. You really you, you you decrease your level of frustration and impatience. Um, you make your life faster and easier. And um, you know, and so we've all been in a circumstance where, like, we it's like it was like we urgently needed something. I urgently need a hammer, and so I got to go out and get a buy a hammer because I, I I know I have a hammer somewhere in my house, but I don't know where, and I I don't want to take the time to do some top to bottom search. So over the years, I end up with five hammers because I don't know where it is. So putting things away. Um, you know, just one minute at a time in the end really can save us a lot of time and energy. And this ties back into your theory about habits, how we turn these actual little one percenters into habits. Yes. Yeah. One minute is seen, is an easy habit. It's funny, like of all the things that I talk about, this is one where people are like, this changed my life. And I'm like, really? Because there's other things that I talk about that I think <laughs> like I would imagine would be like a bigger, a bigger, you know, boost. But people mention this all the time as something that they feel like, wow, I did this and I really felt the results fast. Fantastic. Well, if you want to live a happier and more productive life, uh, this is the lady that can help you do that. So once again, thank you so much, Gretchen, for giving your time today. And I encourage everyone to go out and uh, grab your books and uh, do the 21 for 21 challenge. Excellent. Wonderful. I'm so pleased to get the chance to talk to you. So much fun. Thank you. Take care of yourself hope you enjoyed that interview with Adam and Gretchen Rubin. If you want us to hack into someone specifically, email us, healthhackerathemanshake.com.au. Jump onto Adam's Manshake socials or on the website, themanshake.com.au. He loves to hear from you, as do I, about who you want us to hack into and what you want us to do on The Health Hacker. The Health Hacker, written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.